And we're back with the Insignificant Others podcast. I'm Brett Featherston, joined as always by Rob Flint. Rob, how are you? Doing well, Brett. Doing well. So uh, this podcast that uh, we recorded earlier today was especially fun for me. Uh, Our guest was Jamie Newberg. So if you're a Texas Rangers baseball fan, you are absolutely going to love this one. And you know what was unique about it, Rob, is that I could have literally sat there for about three more hours and listen to him talk about Texas Rangers and pelt him with questions. His knowledge about the organization, about the personalities, about the talent was uh, <laughs> was so much fun. It was like being a kid. Yeah, he knows a lot about the Rangers. It's a passion of his. And for me, and I, I think you agree, it was the closest that I came to feeling like I was a radio, a sports radio talking head. Oh yeah, we, I mean it was fun. We, so we we met him in his office. He's he's a he's an attorney that started with, and you hear his story how he gets started uh, when we get into the podcast. But uh, we just sat in one of the conference rooms there, and it was uh, it was if we had a couple beers around the table, it seemed like that would be appropriate. In this situation, we didn't, but just sit there and talk baseball. Yeah, and um, he was kind enough to extend to us. Rangers tickets. And when I was driving back to the office, I couldn't help but think, would there be anybody better to go to a Rangers game than Jamie Newberg? Yeah, I don't think he invited uh, us to go with him. I think he was offering <laughs> the firm's ticket. So, <laughs> so, so from his perspective, are you crushing, you think are you crushing any, my dream? Yeah, can, from okay. his perspective, He's probably going. I can't think of anything worse than no. I agree. I agree. But I'm just throwing it out there. But clowns. he would be. It would be like sitting next to Wikipedia of Rangers baseball. And that's why he does not want to go with us. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> and I wouldn't blame him for that. It's like when my son was younger and you go to the game and it's just question after question. It's like I don't know. <laughs> just quit. I'm trying to watch a game. But but you know, just for a listening audience, he has uh, thousands of followers on Twitter. He has yeah about forty thousand forty thousand. He has a newsletter that he sends out on a frequent basis, and he's got thousands of subscribers. Yeah, if you're at all interested in Texas Rangers baseball, go to NewbergReport.com. You can sign up for it. It's a free newsletter, um, and I know several people that are already on his mailing list, and it's uh, and they're. Baseball diehards. Yeah, so it's not like it's you great. and I, Rangers fans. I mean, this guy is, this guy is legitimate. And the w- one thing that I took away from our conversation with him that I didn't know before going in is that that he has established a niche for himself in his knowledge and understanding of the prospects in the Texas Rangers' farm system, and and. And even though, you know, we may have some folks in our listening audience who don't like baseball, but we do have a lot of sports moms in our audience. And I think that, that all of the sports moms can identify with this. But I got a chuckle out of the story that he told as far as uh, the sports moms of the, of the kids who are in or were in the Texas Rangers baseball system pinging him, wanting information on how their kids did in a particular minor league game and what that led to. And that the book got created because yes. of that. Yeah. Which which is is pretty amazing. So it's summertime and and I think that we're all glad summer is here for many reasons. And I'm gonna just throw down a couple of topics for our uh 
podcast preamble, and and there are two things that when I think of summer uh, come to my mind, and and one of one of those things uh, is music, right? Yep. So there there are songs that you know through our childhood, you know whether that's you know middle school, high school, college, whatnot, songs that resonate and have a special meaning uh, in our life for whatever reason. And I did some digging, not not serious research, of course. Uh, I don't do that. But uh, I saw a website or ran across a website uh, from Billboard Music that lists the top 10 songs during the summer going as far back as 1985. And I'm not going to run through okay, all of so them. Okay, so these are summer hits. Summer hits. Okay. Summer hits. But these are also... You know, I would top hits of the year. Top, I mean, I yeah. would guess that a lot of these songs would appear in the top hits for the year. So I'm going to start with 1985 and go as far as 1991. Um, the top song in 1985 years. during the summer was "Shout" from Tears for Fears. Oh yeah, which I don't mind at all. Yeah, no, I don't mind. I that. think that song that song still holds up. In 1986, it was "Papa Don't Preach" from Madonna. Really. Yes. I guess that was her heyday, though. It, that was that was what right after uh, Virgin songs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in 1987, it was "Alone" from Heart. That's a surprise. It, yes. Yes. Number two, though, I'll, <laughs> this is maybe the only number two, and and I'm ashamed to admit this, and this is an opportunity for you, Brett, to make fun of me. Number two <laughs> There's was so many, and I love this song. I want to dance with somebody from Whitney Houston. And I'm not ashamed to admit that whenever that song pops up, and I may even have it on my iPhone in my music library. You start dancing. I like it. Yeah. I like it. In 1988, it was Roll With It from Steve Winwood. Never would have guessed that. Mm-mm. 1989, right here waiting Richard Marks. I mean, in the late in the late 80s, this was like the transition right before grunge music. You know, Dick Marks had a lot of hits. Dick Marks. Dick Marks. <laughs> Dick Marks, yes. Uh, in 1990, it was the debut single of the one and only Mariah Carey, Vision of Love. Don't even know the song. Oh, my gosh. That's when she reaches her high pitch. She does that in every song. That's the only I voice I need a has. vision of love. You know, Very nice. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And then in 1991... Uh, the song, I hate this song. I hate this song. Everything I do, I do it for you, Brian Adams. Oh, uh, yeah. That may have been the most overplayed music video on music they just TV. beat you down because MTV. you heard it so often. Oh, it was on every other 15 minutes. So Martha Quinn played it too often? Yes, yes, yes. Martha Quinn played it too often. Uh, so those, those are your top songs from 1985 to 1991. The other topic... Uh, that I'd like to throw out that reminds me of summer, <clears throat> at least for me, summer jobs. Uh, yeah. Summer jobs. So I worked a ton of the crappiest summer jobs known to man. And, and, and this started in high school through college. So I'm just going to throw out some of the summer jobs that I've had throughout my life um, that I didn't like. One of them was working at TCBY. <laughs> and maybe 
maybe that's a big reason uh, for my my current need to drop a few pounds because not only did I serve up yogurt to tons of people that came in the door, I also ate as much product as I served up. And the reason why that job was so bad, it was it was the people that I worked with. Uh, but making waffle cones literally is an arduous and tedious process through which you you burn your fingers. Really? Yes. So I, I rolled a bajillion waffle cones in my life. Uh, another summer job, I worked uh, for uh, a county where I had to mow middle-of-the-nowhere county roads with one of those tractor mowers. Oh, yeah. The tractors where you're pulling Pull it, literally yeah. like a massive mowing it sounds like a great job. No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a good job, and here's why. And this is when I was in college. So uh, I was a college boy, you know, and I was, I was, Yo, college boy. I was thrust into a a work group of folks who didn't they, go. They to were college. they were all college educated. They were not college educated. Uh-huh. Educated, excuse me. They were not college educated, and for some reason they had a they had a chip against college kids. But anyway. So I would I was in the middle of nowhere, pulling pulling this massive mowing apparatus behind a, a, a commercial grade tractor, and every once in a while the the mowing blades would get either stuck in a gully or they just wouldn't work, and I had this CB radio where I would call back into the county barn uh, for help, and whenever I would call into the county barn for help. There would just be radio silence, and I know for a fact that those guys were just sitting around drinking. <laughs> and, and college boy needs some help. Yeah, and so I I was out there by myself in the hot blazing sun for hours, and then eventually some person in a truck would come by, get out of the truck, laugh at me, fix the mower, and then I would. Did you have one of the umbrellas that? No, I didn't. You? I didn't no, have the umbrella. Yeah. I, I had. Actually, I wasn't even in an enclosed cab, so you know I can go on and on about the the summer jobs that I've had. What are what some of the jobs that you had, Brett? So most of the, well, not mo- the first jobs I had in summer, and, and I think I was fourteen when I first started, and, and uh, it was a Dairy Queen because I could ride my bike Dairy. to the Dairy Queen, oh. and it was horrible. the The conditions inside this Dairy Queen Third were horrendous. World. I mean, bugs crawling around all over the place, and you're talking about getting fat. I I would I was making you know about three fifteen an hour, and I'd have like a banana split that would cost about three bucks. So <laughs> at the end of a week, you know, if I worked fifteen hours that week or twenty hours, whatever it was, I don't even remember. I would net like eight dollars. <laughs> Because I didn't get a discount on the food or anything. So was this back in the day when you ha- they were making the blizzards and you had to turn it upside down to show people? No, this wouldn't... is this is pre-blizzard. Okay, pre-blizzard. But you this still is... had to make the the, the chocolate dipped cones. You're talking like 1980. Yeah, oh, the chocolate dipped cones. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Dairy Queen, by the way. I like a blizzard. Oh, I like the blizzard. I like the chocolate dipped ice cream. Only, only if you go to one that has a lot of business. So if you go to a small town, so like if you're driving up to Colorado or something, you go through uh, Childress. There's, yeah. a, there's a big, oh, yeah. healthy Dairy Queen. It's got a lot of business. Those Actually, the tacos are good. Yeah. I like those. The other one, so I, I had a job at McDonald's for like six weeks. You worked at six McDonald's? Weeks, okay, I just six couldn't weeks. Handle it. 
but the best jobs I had were the ones, you know, working outside, doing landscaping, even mowing yards. Stuff yeah. like that. I didn't mind that too much. But yeah. Hey, real quick, you know, maybe there aren't many people that know this, but you know who owns Dairy Queen, right? They're franchised. No, but who owns Dairy Queen? Who? I'm almost positive it's Berkshire Hathaway. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Yes, and More I'm sure... I mean, I'm hoping somebody in our listening audience uh, who knows whether or not this is right will ping us and correct us. Certainly but I'm, I'm almost positive. And they also own Orange Julius, which is why now Dairy Queen so, uh, serve Orange Julius products. And I like Orange Julius too. Has never been an Orange Julius fan, but you not even like not even the old days of the mall. No. Okay. No, okay. I couldn't do the orange Julius. This is food talk. I'm a full Slurpee guy. Hey, what 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 started off as a summer conversation has now evolved into a food conversation. All right, so summer though is is all about baseball. Absolutely. Right? So if you're a baseball fan at all, if you're a Texas Rangers fan at all, you're gonna love this podcast with Jamie Newberg. Jamie Newberg's coming up next. Hope you enjoy it. And we're back with another podcast of the Insignificant Others. And again, Insignificant Others refers to Rob and I, not our guest. But uh, our guest today is Jamie Newberg. And if anybody out there that's familiar, that's, that's a hardcore fan of Texas Rangers baseball, knows the name Jamie Newberg. Jamie Newberg puts together the Newberg Report. You can follow him on Twitter at Newberg Report. Um, and, and he's an expert on Texas Rangers baseball. But you're also a lawyer. You're an attorney. How did you get started with, uh, with your Texas Rangers information and reporting? Um, how did I get started? Well, I got started doing this accidentally, really. Um, as I look back on it, I like to tell myself that I gravitated toward doing something aside from the practice of law just so that I could flip that switch off each day because – I'd been been a lawyer for a few years when I got started writing, and I realized people that I worked with or that I had cases against and just were around, there were a lot of lawyers that were 24-7 lawyers, and I, I didn't want to be that, And which is not to you know denigrate the profession, but some people that I was around just didn't seem like they were able to turn that wiring off, and they were, you know type A and high strung and sometimes combative. And I didn't want to be like that at home. They were sure. prosecuting their wife and children. Well, you know, you've, <laughs> you've been around the type, it's sure. just, you know, a lawyer, is a lawyer, and you're at a cocktail party. Well, that guy's a lawyer. You can tell, you know, just, and I, I did just, I wanted something. And again, this is in retrospect. It was not a conscious thing. Um, but I think I, I've always been uh, drawn to writing when I was in high school, the two things that, that kept me interested in my, my final year were, playing baseball and writing on the school paper. I mean, those were the two things that got me up each morning. And the way that my schooling and then career moved on from there, the writing was just, you know, I was done with that. I was done writing and it was, and I was done playing baseball. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I started practicing law, it was about four years into that, that I started um, sending email and email out to a few buddies that was really just sort of, talking about whatever happened in the Ranger game last night or what's going on in their farm system. 
And actually, dial back a year before that, I used to send an email around the office at the law firm Monday morning about the Cowboy game. We had sort of this Monday morning roundtable just breaking down the Cowboy game. So it really started with that. Then I started doing it with buddies on the baseball end. And it started to grow a little bit where, you know, a buddy of mine said, hey, add my father-in-law or add my boss. Or, you know, start people started jumping on. I didn't know. So my mailing list was like way up there at like 40 or 50 people. And, <laughs> and it just started growing a little bit. So I started, you know, it became a little bit more regular. Not every day, but a couple times a week I'd write something. And toward the end of that first year, which is 1998, which was a playoff year for the Rangers. You know, the Rangers were relevant then, even though they were getting fed to the Yankees in the playoffs every year. It wasn't the same as now. Um, somebody got Mike Reiner from the ticket on the mailing list, and it sort of took a different turn after that because he – and every time I wrote something, I'd get an email back from Mike. I think he found somebody that was as insanely into stuff that no one else cared about as he was, yeah. and that was me. And so started emailing a lot. And he wanted to like, hey, you wrote this. I need to know more. Let's talk more about this guy in Class A. And and uh, so you know, it's kind of a kindred spirit. And beginning of that next season, uh, the '99 season, which was also a playoff season, he and his partner at the time, Grego, mm-hmm. uh, they started doing a Newberg Report segment every day. And it was either five ten or five thirty. I remember his drive time. And I'd be driving home, listen to it, and they had a theme song for it. They never had me on. So they didn't have you on. They'd just talk about what you were – and it was still an email at this time. It was still an email. They yeah. probably had me on half a dozen times that year, and it was usually because there had just been a trade mm-hmm. where we either sent minor leaguers away or got minor leaguers. And the beat writers for the morning news and, – and I don't remember if the Times Herald was still around, but the, the beat writers, Star-Telegram, they're focused on – they get – six column inches to talk about the game and a couple column inches to talk about something else. Well, I could, I could write forever and sometimes do as people who read me know. Um, so they would have me on to talk about minor league stuff that the beat writers may not have been as, as tuned into at the mm-hmm. time. Okay. So I'm fascinated by the whole farm system and the, the minor leagues and all the talent evaluations, because that information is hard to get as, as I mean, th- the guys on the ticket know, how do you get that information? It's easier now. Uh, back then, um, you know, you read Baseball America, but when you got your issue, it was already two or three weeks outdated, and it wasn't updated every day online like it is these days. Um, but there's some some sites like Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus. There's actually Minor League Baseball has a website that's you know on the under the umbrella of MLB. You can find the information if you're interested. Um, it's sort of like college football recruiting, like. Mainstream, you can't find a whole lot about, you know, if you want to go find out Iowa's recruiting class this year, you'd have to dig a little bit. But once you find it, it's there. There's, it's not only there, but there's 10,000 other people digging in on it too. It's just kind of a niche thing. The difference is, you know, when you're talking about minor league baseball, these are already pro players that are eventually going to either play for your team or be traded by your team for something that's going to make mm-hmm. an immediate impact. So that's where it differs. You know, college football recruiting, which I like, you know, I, I compare to it often. That's different because it's cyclical. You get players through two, three, four years, then you recycle them. Different right. in baseball. We got if we got an eighteen-year-old down in class A who's tearing it up, you know, you start paying attention to that because three years from now he could be Rugnet Odorin in the starting lineup, or a year from now he could be traded in a deal to get, you know, Cole Hamels over here. Right. So those guys are relevant even when they're three, four levels down in the system. So did you develop relationships with some of the minor league coaches? To, you know, calling, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, that, that was interesting. There were a couple different sort of subsets that developed early on. 
some of the coaches and scouts, front office people would reach out, hey, say, it's, you know, we, we see what you're doing. We appreciate it. It's sort of good marketing for us to mm-hmm. sort of spread the word in this football town and about what's going on, and we're proud of it, so thank you. And, and so I'd get a little bit of that. What I got more of early on was moms of minor league players <laughs> who were desperate to know if their kid was playing right field for Class A Savannah they want to know who was playing right field for Double A Tulsa because that kid's standing in my kid's way, and they Are were. Are you serious? Oh my gosh! Well, this when I started, this was before we had kids, and I did write every day once it started to grow. And part of what I wrote every day was a recap of what what went on with every farm team the night before, and we still do that. But that's my buddy Scott Lucas. You know, we mentioned there's there's someone else sort of on staff. He he writes a minor league recap every day. Well, back when I was doing it. I'd hear back from these, usually moms, sometimes dads, sometimes the, the players themselves, but usually it was moms who were very worried about, is my boy going to make it to the big leagues and, you know, what hurdles does he need to clear? How's he doing? He, you know, he struck out seven guys in four innings last night. Is that good? You know, it's like, you know, that's that sort of subset of the readership grew pretty fast and actually is one of the reasons that this project turned into an annual book. Because one of the players' moms, that se- the second year I was doing it, said, "Hey, can you? Would you print up everything you wrote this year and staple it and send me a bill for it? Because it can be like a scrapbook for me. Because I want to be able to say, hey, this was Sean's first year in the minor leagues.' And I thought, you know what? I will do that. And there's enough of you, people like you on this list that have their own Sean, yeah, that would probably want something like this. And so. I did a book the first year. I hate even looking back at it. It's awful because I didn't write every day thinking of it being in book form. So I'm just throwing stuff out there. But there is a book about the 1999 season and one every year since that started really because one mom just wanted something to put on her shelf and, you know, to remember what her kid did his first year as a pro. Um, And that that started the book. That that started the book. And then another reader who's – Name is Casey White, and I, don't, I haven't heard from him in 10 years. Would love to know what he's doing now. I hope he's listening to this. Uh, <laughs> he had the idea to build a website for me, uh, probably about a year and a half into the project. And it was one of those websites that had about 10 slash marks. You know, it, it was, it was a, so clumsy, you couldn't actually give someone the address. It had to be a copy and paste. And, but he did an amazing job with it graphically. And, okay, now suddenly we have a website where we can store reports and we can do Q&As and have photo galleries and a message board and sort of grow a community, which I didn't do much in terms of growing the community, but it sort of built itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that grew. The big thing, though, was when Reiner, when Mike Reiner sort of latched onto it himself and mm-hmm. started putting it on the radio and started giving out my email address or eventually my website address, I'd get... 30, 40, 50 new signups every day. Because, wow. again, it was a playoff team then. There was a lot of interest in the team in the late 90s. And that's when the thing sort of took on a life of its own that it's still on, you know, it's still riding that wave that I never intended. Mm-hmm. But it grew in a way that so many people started reading what I had to write, people that I don't know and that may not have even lived in Texas but were Rangers fans. And it just sort of, you know, started on this parabolic rise that. I just didn't anticipate, didn't even hope for. And I certainly didn't think when I started writing in 98 that I'd be writing, you know, it, when I had two kids, one of whom is now behind the wheel and I'm and I'm still writing about baseball. It was just not something <laughs> I envisioned, but it happened. So, and and let's give out your uh, 
website now. It's newbergreport.com, N-E-W-B-E-R-G, newbergreport.com. And our listeners can go online if they want a bound edition of these books you're talking about. They're $24.95 or an e-edition for $9.99. Again, you can get that at the newbergreport.com. So as you said, you have kids now. Right. You have a, a, a job, a day job. And a How, wife. She and takes a wife. A, she yeah. takes <laughs> too. Don't yeah. forget about her. Yes. Yeah. Not that she'll listen to this because she, she gets enough baseball already. <laughs> but, but I, I want to make sure if her friends are listening that I, I mention her and credit her. So, as well. I, I, so I'm trying to figure out because I've got kids and a wife and a job, and uh, I'm trying to figure out how you have time to write. Because in last night's Rangers game, I went back and did a, a quick count, and I, I counted at least 20 tweets or retweets during the game. <laughs> yeah. And you're writing. I mean, you've got on, on Twitter, and it's at Newberg Report uh, on Twitter, you've got uh, over 36,000 followers, and you've sent out over 42,000 tweets. How do you find time to oh do that? Oh, my gosh. I've sent out that many tweets. Wow. Um, well, I guess one of the benefits of having an 11-year-old son who's insane about the sport yeah. is that I get somewhat of a hall pass to have the game on at home because I'm watching with Max. And uh, Ginger's, you know, she'll – stop in the room, watch for a little bit from time to time, but it doesn't drive her the way it drives my son and me. And and my daughter, you know, she she's tolerant of it. She's not a huge fan. She'll she'll once want to go to a game or two a year. But my son would go to every game if he could. And he he certainly watches every game that he can. And so it's something that he and I have together and we're watching the game. So me tweeting something out or, you know, getting ideas in my head about what to write about next, you know, I'd be sitting down on the couch watching that game anyway, even if I wasn't writing about it. Right. If, I, if I'm not at Globe Life Park, I'm probably at home watching unless we got something else going on. That's the fallback, and, and we, we watch most of them. Okay, so uh, having a, a young son also, a 13-year-old, so he's a little bit older than your son, my son knows at least 10 times more about what's going on in sports today than I do. How much of your content and ideas come from your son? Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, I do get ideas from him all the time. Uh, he'll pick up on something that happens during a game, or he'll ask me a question that may have to do with the, you know, what the Rangers might do on the trade market the next few weeks. And the way he asked it, sort of, like, you know, a light bulb goes off. Like, you know what? I bet there's a thousand people out there that have that same thing on their mind. So, so yeah, I'm. I'm usually thinking about too much. And so when I get something from Max, I'm thinking that's probably the question a lot. That's the one thing that you're thinking about. Someone else is too, maybe a lot of people. And so I get ideas that way from him without question. He's now on my mailing list. So I'm a little (laughs) more careful with my, my language has always been, you know, PG at worst, but, but sometimes the content I, I don't get maybe quite as riled up as I used to, because I know, you know, I've got a child (laughs) now reading probably some of his friends are too. Right. So, this goes from grassroots, just sending an email to friends, and it's growing. Now you have access to the Rangers organization. How has that changed at all? Uh, gosh, I've had the level of access started before this this regime. When Doug Melvin was the GM, he was the first GM to reach out and say, "Hey, you know, we're we see what you're doing, and we're." I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're appreciative because we don't get as much press as we probably think we deserve. And so this is great. And um, once John Hart was brought in and John Daniels was brought in in John Hart's front office, um, by then I already had sort of a relationship. Those guys were all reading the stuff already. And so when someone else would be brought in to the front office, 
I'd invariably get an email saying, "Hey, add this guy. We just, you know, he's just been hired to do this and in, in baseball operations." Wow. And, um, because it, you know, it was, it, not because they were getting ideas from me or learning anything from me, but if I'm sending out an encapsulated summary of what happened in their farm system the night before, I imagine that could probably be useful to read sure. that email in 30 seconds instead of you know, making phone calls or gathering it from elsewhere. So, I, you know, I don't want to guess what the reason is, but they would always jump on the mailing list. So I, I got to know John Daniels when he was, you know, entry level with this with, with the Rangers organization. And um, and so, you know. Okay, the, okay excuse the, me for cutting you off there. Yeah. But, uh, and I get most of my sports opinions from the ticket. So <laughs> I get all of my <laughs> sports opinions from the ticket. <laughs> so John Daniels has gotten so much credit since he's been with this organization, especially since he's the full GM role. What are your thoughts on him? What makes him tick? What I mean, you, you know him better uh, definitely than us, and, and I know the ticket guys love him, but uh, he seems to have, to a degree, the Midas touch on his, his player evaluation. Boy, there's like 10 ways to answer that. He is insanely smart and egoless and aggressive. You combine those three things – um, especially the smart and the aggressive, those guys, they turn over stones, I think, that other organizations are maybe a step behind on. The egoless part is he is, from the outside, it, he appears to be one of these guys that it's important to him to hire good people to um, – delegate's probably not the right word, but to empower them to have voices – do what they do well, and collaborate. And I'm not sure that goes on with every organization and every pro sport, certainly not every pro sport in town. Um, but with the <laughs> Rangers front office, I mean, I've, I've met a lot of these guys, and there's half a dozen that you could meet and think that guy should be or eventually will be a GM someday. And he, J.D. has put this team of people together that have the same passion, the same intelligence, the same drive – and whatever it is they're doing, whether it's on the scouting level or the coaching level, player development, the draft, international, they're all obsessed with the same thing, and that is winning and not trying to get their own credit for doing it. It's all a team effort, and I think that's maybe one of J.D.'s strengths is the group he's built. I think back, and I think I wrote about this a few years ago, you know, when, when Jimmy Johnson built that coaching staff that won Super Bowls mm-hmm. here, to me – that's more important than anything Jimmy did on game day or probably even the week leading up to game day because he built such a great staff of coaches that, of course, eventually broke up because half those guys got head coaching jobs sure. elsewhere. But there's something to that that when you have a leader that builds a group of that second tier of leaders, that's when you succeed. Yeah. And J.D.'s done that, and he he loses guys that become GMs somewhere else. Well, like in San Diego. I mean, like you're starting to see a lot of that. I mean, he's propagating talent. Throughout the league, and it's to me, it's it's insane that Thad Levine isn't a GM somewhere else yet. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to be a matter um, of time, and it could be here. You know, this could be a situation where, like with other teams, like in, with the Cubs, JD could elevate to where he's solely the president, even though that's part of his title now. And then Thad becomes the GM. They haven't done that yet, um, but that would be one way to keep Thad around. But like AJ Preller is in San Diego, yeah. like you mentioned. There's other people that have left that aren't GMs, but are you know they got lateral, they got promotions elsewhere. But JD is able to keep replenishing the talent on the front office side, and and that's one of the things I think that makes him tick and makes him as good as he is. 
Um, it's, so is he as good uh, interpersonally, one-on-one, communicating as he is on the radio and TV? When I, he's I, great, isn't he? That, he's so matter-of-fact. I mean, he's just relaxed. Right. And, and it's, it's fact-based, and it's, it's a, it's, he can't have thought out what he's going to say ahead of time. He's doing it off the top of his head, and it comes out so concise and clear. Mm-hmm. It's, it's think, very impressive. I think he could have been a great lawyer. I mean, he's, I mean, seriously, he, he does, he's, he's a quick thinker and he's very, uh, he never gives you sort of that, um, cookie cutter line. It's always thought out and either provocative or at least just, okay, I didn't, never thought of things that way. And he sort of nails it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this guy named Chris Russo. He calls himself Mad Dog. Yeah, he's out of New York. On the radio, right? He's on the he's on XM. Yes, and I think he's he's got a, like a noon show on MLB Network on TV as well. Very loud. What you sort of would expect is the prototypical New York media guy that mm-hmm. screams and high voice. And so anyway, the day after the Rangers and Blue Jays had their brawl, uh. R- Russo goes on TV. And just rips Rugnet Odor a new one. Yeah. Basically saying, oh, he threw a punch and he ran away. He was backpedaling. He didn't want any part of that. What a <laughs> called him names. I mean, so JD, and this is, I, I totally believe this because JD has said it on the radio and Russo even admitted it. JD called Russo or texted him, you know, something offline and said, I want to come on your show. Okay. You got it. When do you want to do it? As soon as you got time. Okay, so you can find this. It's a 25-minute interview where J.D. basically wanted to come on to defend Odor. And it, defend may not be the right word because it wasn't defensive at all. Yeah. It was, this is what you're missing, man. You don't, you're, you're flying off the handle about Odor, but you don't know the whole story about how well-liked this kid is and what his passion for the game is all about and what makes him tick. And this isn't you know, Matt Barnes in the NBA, or this isn't someone that's just out cheap shotting. This is a guy with a passion for the game and the heat of the moment. He might've chosen to do things differently, but those 20 minutes where Russo three or four times, you know, tried to go right at JD's jugular, put him on his heels, just got it thrown right back at him. And by the end of it, Russo was like, man, and he said publicly said, I want everybody to know you called me to come on today. And I appreciate, you know, I got respect for you, man. And I appreciate you, you know, coming on the air. And by the end of it, Russo's barely talking and JD's very carrying. <laughs> He's air. holding court. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, it's like you said, that's what, you know, JD's got that ability. He's a good communicator. It's not what he does for a living. Communication is part of being a GM. It's not what drives him every day. Um, we know we know GMs who are all about marketing and communication yeah. in other sports locally. And But <laughs> JD's about building a winner, but he happens to be a very good communicator, not just internally, but, you know, when he's got a public forum as well. So access to management, but then talk about um, what, if any, access you have to players at the major league level. Usually, um, well, two, two answers to that question. Number one, I do have a credential that I never use. I never – I've been in the clubhouse one time in the 17 years okay. that I've had, and I just don't care to. Because, now, does your son know where that access is? Yeah, passes? I probably shouldn't. I hope he's not <laughs> listening to this. Um, and the reason I don't use it is, well, number one, I don't really have the time. But but number two, and more importantly, is I, I don't ever have an urge to try to cross the line and invade the turf of the guys that do this for a living. Mm-hmm. I'm not a journalist. I don't pretend to be. I write very subjectively. Sure. Um, and we've got fantastic beat reporters and columnists sure. in this town, and they do a great job. And it's not my job or my intention 
to try to cut in on any of that. Yeah. There's nothing I don't I don't think there's anything that someone that reads my stuff would gain by me being in the clubhouse. Do you think that if you, let's say, were a little bit more actively involved in terms of clubhouse interaction, that it would somehow diminish the quality of the writing that you do? Uh, maybe. Because you get too connected or yeah, too close? Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Now, now, the second answer to your question, though, is that I do have – relationships is probably not the right word. I, I know a bunch of the players mm-hmm. and – Almost always that develops when they're in the minor leagues. Yeah. Because I'm writing a lot about them then when they don't have a wall up, they don't have people hounding them all the time, and I get to know them not because I'm trying to force that relationship, but I get to know them because – Because their mother likes you? Because their mother (laughs) likes me. But like when I go to spring training and I go every year with my family, I'm on the backfields the entire time. Mm -hmm. I rarely even go into the stadium. And in the morning, I may watch the big leaguers take BP or infield, but the rest of the time, I'm watching the minor leaguers because yeah. I can watch the big league team all all year long. So there's not a whole lot of people on those backfields, which are smaller than a junior high field. You know, and there's maybe two sets of wooden bleachers. It's it's a very stripped down form of baseball. But that's you know, I want to see these guys that I'm going to be writing about when they're 18 and 19 years old. I want to see them play, and so I may you know meet some of them from time to time. And by the time they get to the big leagues, I've sort of you know. We know each other a little bit, but I don't ever really exploit that and don't care to. Um, but I do know some of the guys, and it's usually because that developed before they ever got to Arlington. Okay, so that brings up a question, uh, especially – and I want to get back to talking about this year's Rangers team because it definitely seems to be special. Uh, but you've got guys like Nomar Mazzara, who I, I think he signed his contract when he was about 16 years old, and he's not even of age yet to drink legally. <laughs> Three years ago when you saw him, did you know this guy has has got something special? Um, Did I know he's got something special? I would say, yeah. But did I think he was going to be this? I would tell you that not only did I not see that, I can't imagine anybody under oath in the Rangers front office ever thought that by this age he'd be this player. Um, It's been an incredible ascension in in terms of how quick it's been and how level-headed the kid is and how poised – but the Rangers knew that about him. They knew the character, the makeup, and that's a very big deal to them when they sign a 16-year-old. $4 million. It was four four point nine five. Yeah. I mean, it was close to $5 million, and until last year, it was the most ever yes. paid to an international free agent. and just exceeded last year. Um, I went out the day – July 2nd every year is the day that teams can sign 16-year-old international kids, usually Dominican or Venezuelan, but not mm-hmm. solely, but that's – primarily where they come from. When the Rangers signed Mazzara on that day in 2011 for almost $5 million, within that first week they brought him to Arlington with uh, another kid named Ronald Guzman, who's at Frisco right now, and we got paid about $3.5 million the same day. Wow. Um, they brought him to Arlington to basically you know, meet some coaches, get introduced to the press, take BP in the ballpark, just you know, as, a, as a reward, part of the deal. Give a taste. Yeah, here's a jersey, that sort of thing. So I went out there that day. I do use my credentials sometimes for things like that, where there's – I'm not in the clubhouse, but if they're – you know, if they've made a trade, they're introducing a new player or something like that, I'll go out there. And I went out there that day, and uh, I've still got some pictures on my cell phone. He took BP with Josh Hamilton. And this is 2011 Josh Hamilton. This is World Series season Josh Hamilton. This is a big deal for a 16-year-old to be taking cuts in the cage on the field with Josh. And it was 
kind of staggering. They're like the same size, even though this is a child. <laughs> they was, this is a six foot four kid, big left handed power who's hitting the ball out of the park at age 16. And it was a cool, so you could see then what the Rangers saw that there was some special talent, some size that if he controlled his size and, you know, grew in the right way as he gets older, muscle and didn't get, you know, too big, that he had a chance to be really, really strong, you know, a huge asset. The other thing the Rangers do and they're very good at is they get to know families well before they ever agree to sign a player. And in Mazar's case, I think they were basically scouting this kid for two years plus before he was 16. His dad's an admiral in the Dominican Navy. Oh, wow. Um, mother, I think, is a school teacher. This is kind of a special kid from a character standpoint. You know, not that he was well off or anything. You know, the kids in the Dominican, it's a, you know, it's a different culture entirely. But he'd been raised in a way where I think the Rangers had some confidence that if the physical tools came together, he'd also be the kind of player that when he goes into a slump in double A, it's not going to send him into a tailspin, that he's going to be able to respond to that because, you know, cliche, baseball is a game of failure. And if you're unable to adjust to those failures, even in the minor leagues, sometimes you hit that ceiling and you never make it. Yeah. And they, they felt good about Mazar because of his family and his upbringing and his how he was wired in addition to how far he could hit a ball, you know, yeah. left-handed. And everything I've heard about him, is it's not just the physical makeup. Like you said, it's his – patience and presence at the plate, his ability to not swing at everything, that's really what makes him special. I guess that's kind of the makeup you're right. talking and, about. Right, and considering you know, that he's a 21-year-old kid, you just imagine when he's 25, you know, how, how mature and you know, how much of a leader is this kid going to be if he's like that now? I mean, right. Well, there, he was given the nickname The Big Chill yeah. by, by another blogger in town, a friend of mine, and, and it totally fits. I mean, he's for, for a kid that age to be that chill and that level-headed and poised and not overwhelmed by, you know, 97 miles an hour and, and can, you know, wait back on the changeup from that same pitcher. You just don't see that with rookies, let alone rookies that young. So what happened? Because, you know, on on talk radio and the papers, I mean, the, the fans are saying, you know, when how could the Rangers not know they had him, this kid that has all of this talent, and, of course, he gets inserted in the lineup because Chu goes down. Right. How could they not know? But it sounds like, I mean, to your point about, you know, if they were under oath, your guess is that they did, well, you know, they wouldn't say that we knew this was going to be the kid that people were going to see on the field. So what happened? I think there were coaches who felt like he was ready. Mm-hmm. But the way that the Major League roster was set up, I mean, Chu's going to play every day sure. until he got hurt. The plan was for Hamilton to play every day huh. before he got hurt in camp. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Mazzara was getting reps in, in spring training, but basically the corners were, well, if Hamilton can't go, you know, is Rua ready to take at least half of a platoon in left field? At the time, Desmond was signed to play left field mm-hmm. because DeShields was going to be your center fielder every mm-hmm. day. So there really weren't at-bats for Mazzara. Well, Chu gets hurt, and those coaches that believe Mazzara was ready sort of carry the day and said, you know what, let's throw this kid in there. Yeah. If it didn't work for a week, they could have sent him back down and brought someone else up. But you know, I love that Jeff Bannister in, he inserted Mazzara at number two in the order, day one. It was, this wasn't like, well, you're bad in eighth, you're bad in ninth, like Ron Washington would have done if he would have even played him. Yeah. And most managers, and I'm not trying to throw Wash under the bus, but there's a lot of managers like, you know, you got to prove yourself in the clubhouse old, old and on school. the field. Very old school. Bannister's got old school in him, but he also trusts kids, and he threw him number two in the lineup, and the kid just started hitting day one. Yeah. And 
you know, as things shook out, everybody was like, well, my gosh, when Chu comes back, how can you send this kid down? Well, obviously things happened. DeShields played his way to AAA. So now Desmond's in center. Left field opens up. So things work out. So sure. that Mazzara was not going to go back down once he did this for three or four weeks, and it worked out to where they kind of needed him up here anyway. So let's talk about Bannister for a little bit. So Ron Washington was a very well-liked manager. He was, I think, the longest manager in Texas Rangers history. And he was a player's manager. And when Bannister came to the Rangers, he was relatively unknown to the casual baseball fan, spent most of his career with Pittsburgh. But this team this year, which which seems like it has something special, is a is a mishmash of 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 talent. You've got Mazzara, who definitely comes on. You've got uh, Desmond, who's a second baseman, who's playing outfield now like a champ. You've got a relief pitcher that was working at Golden Corral. I mean, it's it's just so thrown together. Bannister's got to be a big reason for the unity of this team, without a, without a doubt. And I think that. If you're to make a list of the of the, the the John Daniels' greatest strengths, you can go through some of his trades. You can go through some of his you know hires in the front office, so so on and so forth. He has made two fantastic managerial hires, and both of those guys, Wash and Banny, had been in other organizations for more than twenty years, never getting that shot from their own team. And he JD had no history with Wash, and JD had no history with Bannister. But through talking to the right people, he decided that each of them was ready for this opportunity. And like you said, they're not the same guy. They're very it's not like there's a JD managerial prototype. Yeah. Wash and Bannister are very different. Yeah. But both of them were genius hires. I mean, Wash obviously takes the team to two World Series with his chip on his shoulder mentality and you know, creating a, a defensive pride that this team didn't had have before that. Bannister comes in at a time when I think J.D. felt that the team needed a little bit of a culture change, Bannister yeah. instituted that. He's a very strong personality um, and also very inclusive. You know, he, Bannister was asked in his interviews with Texas, you know, who's on your list to bring in, you know, hitting coach, pitching coach, you know, first and third base coaches, so forth. Bannister's answer, which J.D. likes to talk about because it was so unusual, he said, well, you tell me who in the organization is deserving of those spots because I want some continuity. I don't want to bring in all of my guys. And so several of the guys on Bannister staff had been working in the Rangers minor league system, had no history with Bannister and are now his, you know, trusted sidekicks. And and that's sort of, I guess, demonstrative of both Daniels and Bannister have this inclusiveness in, in terms of what drives them. And Bannister's message, I think, is just, it's just a really strong, you know, the, the Rangers have adopted his never, ever quit sort of as their marketing slogan. But it's not a, it really just, it's not a cliche thing. It really is Bannister's mantra. You, if you know his backstory, what he's been through, yeah. cancer as a teenager, right. mm-hmm. paralysis in college, totally unrelated. And he overcame both of those to get one at bat in the big leagues. And in that one at bat, he gets an infield single, which he's talked about since he almost lost his leg in high school. He said, that meant more to me than if I hit a ball out, that I legged out an infield dribbler. And that was his one at bat he ever got. And so he's one for, you know, he's just, he's a survivor. And I think that that has been part of the, I guess, the, uh, the culture and personality of the team, that they, they don't get into long losing streaks and right. they, suffer incredible amounts of injuries last year and again this yeah. year and they are, 
They were a playoff team despite it last season. They're going to be again this yeah. year despite it. And that's partly, I think, they've got this survivor mentality that's sort of the next man up. You yeah. know, we can't go with this guy. We've got someone else that's ready to chip in. Well, I mean, you think about, you know, people's expectations for this ball club at the beginning of the year and the starting lineup. Let's say I'm not even talking about the pitching rotation, and then look at where we are now. Right. I mean, you know, you've got. I mean, we we don't need to rename names, but I mean, Ian Desmond, who turned down a massive contract from the Nationals. You know, Rangers take a flyer on him to come in and doing what he's doing out of position essentially. And you've got Mazzara, who we already talked about. You've got Profar now, who you know is playing a a big role in all of this, and it's it's amazing. And, and the catching platoon. I was just going to mention I mean, that. you know, those guys yeah. have stepped up big time. And they're all journeymen. Like the, the catchers yeah. are all sort of like they've been all been around, but they're in combination here. They've been outstanding as a, yeah. as a group. And I mean, you know, with what's going on at first base, you know, that's that's kind of a big issue, and and really kind of creating an opportunity for Profar. But what what do you envision, kind of given what we've seen so far, how this is going to play out in your in your mind? Um, you know, I think they're a special team. The way they fight back, the way they play, the way that they're led. I mean, do you think this is this is going to be a World Series year for the Rangers? You know, it's it's always hard to say it's a World Series team or a sure. World Series year, but there's no question that they're going to be competing for that. Yes. And you know, the fact that they've got the best record in the league, despite getting about a week out of Darvish so yeah. far, getting almost nothing out of Prince Fielder until the last three weeks or so. Yeah. Mitch Moreland has had a, a First half, not anything close to what he did last year. You've had Keone Kella for a couple weeks. They're about to get him back. They're going to make a trade this month, probably a couple. Do you think they're going to get that pitcher from uh, Tampa Bay? There's Odorizzi and Moore. There's Matt Moore and Jake Odorizzi. Um, Odorizzi is the guy I'm thinking of. They may both be traded because Tampa Bay has decided, you know, we're going to take advantage of having some veterans and turn things over. Odorizzi was – pretty bad last night as we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean that the Rangers won't be interested any longer, but I think they're going to want to see him sort of right himself before they give up too much to get him. But they'll get somebody. And I, my, my guess is they'll get a starter and they'll probably add a reliever as well. Um, so, you you know, you factor all those things in. Darvish coming back, Kella coming back, maybe Prince is rounding into form, adding one or two, you know, legitimate impact-level pitchers on the staff to a team that's already got the best record in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it would be it would be a disaster if they don't make the playoffs. And we saw the Astros almost spit it up last year, so they sure. they at least know that. They've got to have that in the back of their mind that the way the Rangers caught Houston last year, you can't rule out Houston catching Texas. There's half a season to go. Now, are you in favor of I mean, what is it going to cost the Rangers to get that talent in return? Are we talking about Gallo? Well, it depends on I mean, on is who. he on the table? I guess on, yeah. Yeah, like a guy like Odorizzi I mean, Tampa Bay's absolutely going to start with we got to have Gallo or Profar in the deal, and my my sense is that the Rangers will say, "Well, then you know, yeah. call someone else." The Rangers are very deep in the minor league system. They've got they've got players on that next tier mm-hmm. that are competitive with anything that any other team can offer. They don't need to give up Gallo or Profar to get a guy that level. Now, if they're going to go get Sonny Gray or Chris Sale or someone like that that immediately is on that Hamels Darvish level. <laughs> then you probably do have to give up one of, the guy, one of those guys. And I think Texas would. And we saw what they gave up for Hamels last summer. I was The players was, that the Philadelphia got in return, and, and I don't think many Rangers fans know that, that they're contributing to the Phillies this year. Not just that. They've got three guys in that deal that are still in the minor leagues are tearing it up. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that trade is going to fuel the Phillies being good again. Yeah, yeah. And Texas would never undo it. 
I mean, oh shoot, no way. Know, that's one of the for a front line there's, starter. There's not a lot of trades where you can look a year later and say, man, both teams are thrilled with it. Yeah. Right? But in this case, there's no question. You get Hamels and Deekman for several years each, and you gave up those six players, five of whom are minor leaguers that are contributors either now or about to be. That's Texas is deep enough to make that kind of deal again. And speaking of Deekman, I think it's a crime that he was not added to the all-star team. I am glad he wasn't, though. He needs a rest. He does, yeah. he, he does <laughs> which actually you bring up, yeah. you bring up a, a very good point. And, and as a Rangers fan, I'm very concerned about the mileage that, that you know, our, our bullpen is putting in, especially our middle relievers. Yeah. Um, and, and I would hope that, you know, any trade would kind of bring some reinforcement, not, not just from a, a starting pitching standpoint, but to give those guys a rest because yep. that's going to be critical. There's no question. Um, one of the uh, side effects of having so many starting pitchers hurt is they're getting a lot of short starts from the reinforcements. Mm-hmm. That fifth mm-hmm. inning, you're going to the bullpen. And when you do that four times a week, yeah. you're just gassing your guys. Mm-hmm. And when you win, this you know, is starting to get maybe too esoteric, but when, when you win as often as Texas does, and they happen to typically win close games, they don't win a lot of blowout. For whatever reason, there's not a whole lot of blowout wins. There's so many close games, two, three, two, three run uh uh, two, three run deficits at most that the key relievers are pitching every night. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when Darvish is back and Hamels is informed, then hopefully you get, you know, at least one of them each time to, through the rotations giving you eight innings. And there can be a night where you just need one inning out of Tony Barnett and Dyson and Diegman and Bush can sit. Mm-hmm. And you still win the game. You don't need them to win yeah. the game. And if they bring in another reliever, and if Holland gets healthy and Colby Lewis gets healthy, and all of a sudden you're getting a good seven innings a night out of your rotation on average, then you're in better shape. Right now they're getting five, and that's why these guys need a break. Sure. Losing Colby Lewis, I think, was the hardest thing because he was an innings eater. An innings eater, and this year, more than that, he's having one of his best seasons, yeah. if not his best at this age. Yeah. After eight surgeries, he, he's he's incredible. And losing him, you're right, was a, a huge blow. And they should get him back before the regular season's over. But, you know, in the meantime, they're having to sort of patch things up without him. So with all the trades, there's a lot of rumors about uh, Darvish being traded. So next year, I think, is the last year of his contract, and he's going to command some big money right. after that. Do you think they're going to make the trade this year? Wait till next year. Well, you sign him. You really well. You have there's two opportunities to trade him. You're because you're obviously you're not going to trade him during this season because you be selling low because he's coming off injury. Right. Plus, you need him. I mean, it doesn't make sense to trade him during the season. So your first opportunity would be to trade him this winter. The second and final opportunity would be to trade him one year from now. This time in July. The problem with that plan is. If you're in a pennant race, and I guarantee you this team plans to be in a pennant race next time this year, you just, again. You don't want to give up an arm like that. Why give it? I mean, that's going to be what you're looking to add. You're not going to be looking to subtract from your rotation if you're trying to win something. So, really, the only chance to do it will be this winter that's realistic. And going into a season, again, when you expect to contend, they're going to have to be so overwhelmed this winter that it would almost have to be a deal where you can't afford to say no. Here's the thing. This winter's free agent market is almost empty. Hmm. There was one starting pitcher that was headed to free agency this winter that was going to command, you know, David Price type money, and that was Strasburg. And the Nationals re signed him a month ago. And he's hurt. And he's hurt. But he's off the market because he's signed yeah. for seven years now. There's so, nobody. And so, so if Darvish is on the market, he's going to be the bell of the ball. No doubt. 
And he might have been even if there was a ton of pitching on the right. market. Darvish is, you know, he's legit, no question. Um, but now it makes sense for Texas to at least say, you will listen and see what's, you know, what's offered. And I still doubt they would trade him because almost by definition you're going to be reducing the strength of your rotation to, to trade Darvish. You may get something that two years down the line, four years down the line, you may say, well, he, we think this guy could be a, a, a one, you know, an ace. But you're not going to get that guy that can step in right away and pitch, you know, game one in a playoff series. Yeah. You're just not. Teams aren't going to give that up. So I don't expect he'd be traded, but I do expect there's going to be some interest. And John Daniels is not afraid to make any any yeah. move. And so I don't think he's ever going to call Darvish or anybody else untouchable, but I think it would just take such a huge amount um, in terms of an offer for, for J.D. to listen that I, I just don't expect it would happen. I would prefer that they trade him and get value for him. Then we just get one more year out of him and then lose him to the Yankees or somebody that are going to give him some crazy well, amount of money. My question is, what what level of interest does he have in re-signing with the Rangers? Is he like being in Arlington? I don't know. Does I, anybody I, know that? I, well, I mean, I'm sure the team has a sense, but yeah, that's that's one thing I'd love to know. Does he want to be here? Yeah. you know, long term, or does he want to be in Los Angeles? Does he want to be on a coast? Because um, you know the Dodgers will throw money at him. Oh, you know, sure. they, they've got monopoly money, well, and, and especially the location and the, the huge Asian population. Yeah, and, and they've got they've got money to burn. They've got some rotation issues, and the idea of putting him next to Kershaw is probably so seductive that they're they're just they're waiting right now for a year and a half from now to throw thirty a year. At I'm him. sure. Now, my my next question is: Is Darvish's interpreter a subscriber to the Newberg Report? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But you know, the funny thing is that Darvish probably could be himself. He's not, but yeah. he could be. I think. I think. I think Darvish understands and speaks English a lot better than, than he what likes, he leads he likes on. to let on because I think he he prefers not having to do as much media as he'd be expected to do, and so. Having the interpreter sort of making things more formalized, yeah, um, he doesn't have to do it. But just from talking to other you know, players on the team, coaches, they say, "Man, that guy, I mean, he's got an American sense of humor. It's yeah. not just understanding the language enough to really get what the questions. I mean, he's right in there in the mix with everybody. That's good. I don't think the interpreters around unless the media is around. So another pitcher that you know has come on pretty strong and and really has an incredible backstory is Matt Bush. So, you know, everybody knows that he can throw a million miles an hour. I thought you were going to bring up Bobby Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Bobby Wilson, yeah. by the way. Um, you know, everybody knows what he brings uh, on the mound. But, you know, what what are the stories or anything that you're hearing in terms of how he's fitting in the clubhouse? You know, um, Bannister obviously put a lot of faith in him to bring him up, you know, so quickly. How is he fitting in? Yeah, Um very well, you know. I, and again, I'm not in the clubhouse, but from all indications, he's fit in well. He's very humble. Um, he, I mean, he's had humbling experiences, so you mm-hmm. know, no surprise. But yeah, you know, that can go one of two ways. And it sounds like he's <laughs> he's taking in the direction that hey, I got a lot to prove and a lot to earn, which includes the trust of my teammates and my coaches. Sure. And it looks like he's really gone about this the right way. And I know the Rangers, when they signed him this winter, made that a priority that. When he was in the minor leagues, he was going to need to prove that he was ready outside the lines to yeah. be a big leaguer. No, you know, not just the stuff, but you know, is he carrying himself the right way and avoiding temptations and sort of doing what is asked of him? And so far, he has. So, 
let me ask you a question. If if he didn't have the baggage that he has, would his role be that of a closer? Not not a middle innings, you know, relief pitcher, but like bringing him in in the ninth inning to close a game. Not now. In fact, I think his role right now is exactly what it would be without the baggage. Even even without that, yeah, because okay. really, you know, his his baseball backstory is when he was drafted. Um, 11 years ago, I want to say, out of high school. He was a shortstop. Yeah. And he was a shortstop for six, seven years in the minor leagues and just never hit. And then he got into his legal troubles, and it's really just been in the past couple of years that he's been on a mound at all professionally. And so, you know, to try to accelerate that to the point at which he's closing games in the big leagues, I just don't think that would have happened, even without the baggage. Just He's really learning to be a pitcher. I mean, yeah. He's got a golden arm, but there's more to it, sure. as you yeah. know. Sure, it's not just you know pumping 97. There's a difference between a good strike and a bad strike, and he's learning that. But he's, I mean, he's learned quickly. He's done very yeah. well, and I think there's probably a concern, you know, with the team that this guy has never been through this, even in Class A, you know, where he's pitched six months and maybe a seventh month, and is being relied on four times a week in big spots. Is he going to hold up? You know, are they going to have to back off of him a little bit July and August? And maybe that's another reason to get another arm in here because, you know, we, we want to have this guy healthy and fresh in October so that right. by early September he's not gassed and sort of out of the plans because yeah. this is a new new experience for him in terms of the mileage he's putting on his arm. Well, you know, I think you mentioned something very important there. All of the experiences that he's gone through, and I, and I don't know these guys personally, so I'm going off of what I hear and read, but – he he seems to be handling his challenges very with a humble attitude, um, and you kind of uh, look at what Josh Hamilton has gone through, and who's had you know very similar but different struggles, and he seems humble for a couple of days, and then he's back <laughs> to being you know Josh Hamilton, and he's had a tumultuous career with the Rangers, uh, you know loved and hated and then somewhat tolerated. Do you think he'll ever get on the field for the Rangers this year? Hamilton, not this year. No, not this year. Um, the question is ever again. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I want to say, two, there's, I can't remember if there's one or two years left on this deal after this year. Um, I think there's two years left. Two after this one? Yeah. Um, now, of course, the Angels are paying 90% of it. So right. there's very little financial risk. And because the contract is so big, it makes no sense for Hamilton to retire because they need forfeit the contract. So – you can expect he's going to go after it and rehab and try to get back on the field. And I think the Rangers are open to, hey, you know, if you prove that you're physically ready, I mean, you're a transcendent talent. Even if you're not what you once were, we're going to give you a shot, especially if some other team is paying for it. Right. He's going to get a shot. And I think if he's healthy next year at some point, you know, at the very least, you know, you you try to figure out if he fits on the bench. You know, he's probably not an everyday guy anymore, and if he is, at most he'd be a platoon guy because there's just, you know, he breaks down so easily. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say we probably don't see him again. But I think well, he's We don't push. need a left-handed DH. Really. Yeah, well, right. We got, we got a few candidates there, at least right now. Um, but, you know, would be kind of cool if toward the end of the contract he has got himself at least into playing shape and he can contribute a little bit. When he came here last year, last summer – I mean, he wasn't here a long time, but he had about five or six game-winning hits and a huge game-winning mm-hmm. catch in left field in the corner. Like, uh-huh. the guy still has the ability to change a game. And you get the feeling that when he plays his final week of Major League Baseball, if that's still in the future, he's going to win a game in that week. He's just one of those 
transcendent baseball talents that's had such a star-crossed life off the field. But, you know, to his credit, he got things turned around enough that he had a career in the big leagues and that the Rangers were the team to give him that shot. And, um, you know, I, I selfishly hope that there's a little bit left, but, you know, had to guess I'd say maybe maybe we don't see him again. Now, we spent all this time talking about the Rangers, and I can't believe we haven't even mentioned, you know, the name of Adrian Beltre. Yeah. Um, he's probably my favorite Ranger um, and I definitely think it's a no-brainer in terms of his uh, ending up in the Hall of Fame after his career is over. Is is he the heart and soul of the team? Do you think, in terms of the 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 live you know the liveliness it appears that he brings to the clubhouse and his relationship um, with Elvis? Um, you know, what are your thoughts on him and and his ability to produce over the next two years? Right, because he's under contract. I mean, I guess after this year right. for two years right. to to fulfill you know and play out his contract at the level that he's playing now yeah um he is the heart and soul of the team uh i'd say that it's basically adrian beltre's team once michael young left um and beltre's personality is the type that he was never going to try to step into that role until he was looked to and he was not going to he was not going to be looked to in that role while michael was here um but then it sort of became adrian's team to sort of be the sheriff of and Mm -hmm. lack of a better term Pitching staff, Colby Lewis is probably that guy. Yeah. Um, but Beltre is one of those guys that he's he's not real loud and intense uh, on the field. You know, he plays a plays quietly. If anything, he looks like he's playing with joy. You oh, know, it's like oh, yeah. that's what I say. When he's up to up to bat, like even when he swings and misses, and the way that he flips his bat yeah. and he hits the 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 handle end of the bat on yeah. his cleats, I and mean, it appeals just, to the first base umpire yeah, oh, before on his, the catcher his does. own check swing before the catcher does. I, yeah. and he's just got a big smile on his face. Yeah, especially when he's uh, batting against uh, Felix Hernandez. You know, because they're both <laughs> oh, yeah. and he's laughing. Half oh the yeah. Time. Well, they you know they they were teammates in Seattle for years and. They yeah they're jawing each other every time and Felix it could be a day when Felix isn't pitching and it's going on from the Mariners dugout they're right. just constantly jawing at each other and I think that that's something that's missing from baseball that I think we would like to see more of as a fan I mean he just seems to play with such joy and and, right. and passion and that's the big reason why I like him so yep. much and at the same time he's probably the most intense player in terms of getting after it playing through injury. Um, playing the game the right way and expecting that from his teammates, even the mm-hmm. 21-year-olds that are just getting here from AA. Um, he sets a tone for the team in yeah. both ways, sort of you know playing the game with joy, but at the same time getting after it and not not complaining about it. You know, if your your knees a little sore and just you know play through the pain and sure. you know the 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 base hit he had in the Toronto series where he basically couldn't stand up. Yeah. Singled in a run to center field, which I still think if the center fielder was thinking, it was Kevin Pillar, he could have thrown out Beltre at first easily. Yeah. And it would have been the third out of the inning and the run wouldn't have scored. I mean Beltre was crawling to first. Wow. He couldn't stand up. He had back spasms. But that's the kind of player he is, and that filters down. That sets a tone of what this team's all about and what's expected. Of hitters, pitchers, you know, you fight through the pain. Everybody's dinged up. You fight through it because Adrian Beltre has fought through more than than almost anybody to get on the field. Yeah, yeah. So what about let, – let's talk about Rangers pass real quick. So growing up, who was your favorite Texas Ranger? Uh, Jim Sundberg was my favorite as a kid. <laughs> um, just – and part of it was when I was growing up in the 70s, the Rangers were so bad that the highlight of every year was the All-Star game. Yeah. And I still remember like – 
Mom, Dad, can I stay up and watch the All-Star game till late because the, whoever the Rangers rep was wasn't getting into the seventh <laughs> inning. And I wanted to see Sonny's or Buddy Bell's or Toby Harris one at bat. Yeah. And that was like the highlight. And, and you know, Sunberg was was among the best at his position in those days. Mm-hmm. There was Johnny Bench, there was Gary Carter, there was Jim Sunberg. And you weren't many catchers that were that good in terms of the all-around game. So I think I gravitated toward him the most. Okay. But – you know, it was a different time. You know, I loved baseball because I loved the sport. It wasn't because the Rangers were so captivating. You know? <laughs> they were on TV maybe once every two weeks, and they were probably going to lose that night. But, I, you know, I loved it. And, and, yeah, Sunberg was probably my first guy. And what are, what are your thoughts, I guess, taking a, a shift toward the future, what are your thoughts on the new ballpark proposal? Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, I do – I am a believer in the – benefit of having the retractable roof Mm -hmm. and i think we a couple things we've talked about this last hour about relievers getting gassed pitchers not getting through five they deny it because that's what you do publicly Mm -hmm. but it's got to it's got to be on the pitching staff in particular it's tough enough sitting out there in you know early august every once in a while they got to play a day game because of tv but you're out there throwing 95 pitches at high stress um it, it's got to break you down, and I'm. I look forward to the day when the Rangers are a little fresher late in the season physically because they're not having to play in this heat. And I, I imagine that the roof's going to be open most of the time, but there are going to be those days where it's 101, and if it's a day game or if it's raining, you can get the game in with the roof. So I believe in that. I do. I, I do hope and believe that it's going to be retractable because mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not a big domed baseball guy, but just having it there to you know get through the bad. You know, the, the unplayable weather, I sure. think, is useful. Um, I love the current ballpark. You know, I, I'm not one of those people that believes it's it had its day. Um, I don't but, know many people. I mean, I, it's still a good ballpark. Yeah. I, mean, I can't believe how old it is already. Yeah. It seems like it was like three years ago that right. it was brand new. Yeah. No, and in ways it feels like that because they've been very good about updating it. Every winter they're doing something. Yeah. Um, I think it's just the nature of, of pro sports these days. You know, you get those 30-year leases, and usually ballparks, except for the historical ones, when you get to that 25, 30 years, you know, there's something new either technologically or whatever it is where a team, especially if they got support of the fan base to help pay for it, um, <laughs> is going to build something new. And so, you know, I go both ways on it. I'd be fine if this ballpark were here 50 years from now, but at the same time, you know, they looked a few years back at how it worked to try to retrofit and put a roof, a retractable roof over this one, and they said it would basically cost as much as it would to tear it down and start over. And so because I think the roof will be um, helpful in terms of competitively, I'm in favor of that aspect of it, whereas I think the ballpark itself is is fine and doesn't really need updating save for the roofing aspect of it. Yeah. So, uh, before we uh, uh, sign off here, first of all, thanks a lot for being with yeah, us. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, fun. This, is, this is, you know. I feel like a kid. My, it, I, mean, like, yeah. like, I mean, literally, I mean, you know, my boss may one day listen to this podcast. I'm actually playing, you know, hooky from work from my day job to record this. And it's, I mean, this has been so much fun. Well, now, you, I mean, that's why I write. I mean, you sort of yeah. encapsulate right there. It's because it's fun. Oh, and, yeah. And it gives me something where I don't have to think, all day, and as I'm falling asleep, about depositions. I yeah, mean, I do that for a living, and I enjoy my job, and I, I work hard at it. But it's I, it's kind of fun to have something else. Yeah, 
Well, the scary thing is, is I feel like I could sit here for about two more hours <laughs> and just pick your brain. Jamie's on probably like, "Please God, please God, <laughs> yeah. let him not be serious." Uh, but, but before we we conclude this, I did want to ask you about select baseball for kids. So we all have sons that are in that eleven to thirteen year old range, and it is. You know, when your kids are playing in the baseball season, you have no life. Mm -hmm. The rest of your family has no life. Do you think kids, baseball in particular, because there's so many games, is just getting over the top? You know, I, my wife and I try very hard to sort of keep tabs on our son and make sure that he's still having as much fun playing as he used to. And that he's not doing it because, well, this is what you do if you play baseball. you got to play eight, nine months out of the year and this many days a week. And he still loves it. Um, but, you know, it's not played this much in other parts of the country because the weather's not as conducive. But here you get about a, a month off after the, the spring season before fall begins. Then you get maybe two months off after mm -hmm. that for winter, and it's right back at it. It's a lot of baseball. Um, you know, it, it, there's all these questions of whether it's too much from a physical, physiological standpoint as these kids get older while they're still growing. And, you know, that's another two-hour podcast. Yeah. But, you know, I think as long as you've got the right coaches and the kids are being taken care of mechanically and they're throwing correctly and not injuring themselves every time they throw a baseball, then that can be sidestepped where you're not going to run into this, those kind of problems, as long as they're not being asked to throw 110 pitches when they're 12 yeah. years old and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, yeah, it, it's something I think about that, you know, is, is there that line that some – some folks or some teams groups are crossing by just playing too much baseball and do the boys really want that? And I, I think at least with our situation, I think we're playing about, you know, the right numbers. There's, you know, sometimes we feel like there's been so much rain. We probably could have played more this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, we haven't really had a situation where we felt like, man, we're just playing too much baseball because we could see in our kids' eyes that they're still digging it. And they they can't wait for the next practice, the next game. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy, we talked about this earlier. My son, who's thirteen, plays select baseball, and 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 his season ended on Sunday. And and I think we counted back. He ended up playing sixty five, seventy games this year. Yeah. And I think if it wasn't, and, and that's just the spring. That's just the spring. I think that if it wasn't for weather canceling tournaments over the weekend, and and if he would have played those games, I think that that. The weather saved him, and I think it. I'm not just using him as the prime example, but I think all kids who play select baseball from kind of that overexposure playing too much, right? Um, and it's a tough thing. I think it's equally as tough on the parents as it is the kids, because if you're a baseball parent, I mean, your kid's not going to be able to get to the game without you, you know, especially if they're you know under the age of 16. Um, but you know, the passion has to be there. Uh, certainly to kind of justify the journey. And what if they have a brother or sister, God forbid? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. no absolutely. How, how do you juggle it all? Now, one thing, one thing that, you you know, we can talk about this later, Brett, but we, we have, uh, we know a child, our son's his age, who is a phenomenal baseball player, one of the best players at his age level um, here in the state of Texas, and he has to have Tommy John surgery. Really? Yes. Didn't realize it. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, a phenomenal talent, and, and he, uh, uh, probably does too much and here he is you know at the age of 13 almost 14 well you know there, in there's that situation which is that i mean that's just unheard of i no, mean you know yeah. it's i mean they say he keeps getting younger and younger but man 13 I mean, yes wow worse than that i've heard about people getting their their sons elective 
Tommy John surgery. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So they figure out it's it's going to wear out. Because then it strengthen. It it's supposed to strengthen the yeah. arm, correct? Yeah. I mean, so and actually, when that when that's the story of that kid came up, that's what one of the parents said. You know, well, so and so, you know, maybe his arm is going to come out or emerge stronger than what it was before, and that just you know, I it's a Disney believe. movie. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Jamie, thanks a ton for being with us. We appreciate it. Yes, and, thank you, Jamie. Uh, if, everybody listening, if you're at all a Texas Rangers baseball fan, go to NewbergReport.com. There's tons of information. Jamie puts out a lot of, uh, as you've heard, his, his knowledge of the team is immense. And also on Twitter, follow him at Newberg Report. And thanks a ton for being here. We really appreciate fun. it. No, I really appreciate it. And I do want to mention that if anybody does go to the website and wants to subscribe <clears throat> subscribe to the emails, it's free. It's I mean, just free to get the emails. Just That's... need an email address, and then you're on the list. Um, back to the, the days when I was sending it to eight or nine of my buddies, that part hasn't changed. It's still just <laughs> an email I send out every few times a week. But, uh, yeah, it's still free. Well, good. But, yeah, I appreciate you guys uh, doing this with me today. It was fun. It's been awesome. It's been a blast. Thanks a ton. Yep. Thank you.